Hey, Craig, will you tell me something? Oh, I'll tell you something. Do you want me to tell you something? Yes, who do we have? We've got the $1 billion, that's billion with a B, sales guru and mentor box CEO, partner to Ty Lopez, Dr. Alex, and he's unleashing two secret formulas. Guess what? What? He's also a rocket scientist. (laughs) I'm going to drink that in. Let's do it. Do it. Welcome to the Insurance Dudes, a podcast for insurance agency owners, helping us to think of different ways to optimize our business and our lives. Dr. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor. Cool. Super. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about, for somebody who doesn't know who you are and they've been living under a rock or something, can you <laughs> can you just kind of give like a, a little background uh, sure. Um, I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, uh, I, it's just like, you know, I, I've lived basically two lives. Uh, the first half of my life, it was all about science. So I grew up wanting to be a scientist. I am also an immigrant. So I immigrated in the, uh, to us when I was 20 years old. Um, Went to grad school, got my master's PhD in engineering, became a scientist for NASA. I had no plan, man, to become an entrepreneur. I just, you know, I, um, it wasn't even growing up. It wasn't kind of, it wasn't even in my vocabulary uh, to do business. (laughs) Believe it or not, it's like very interesting. I've lived two separate distinct lives. Um, Yeah, that's, uh, that, that is two different like mindsets, right? right. So structured, like that's scientific, you know, like uh, follow this process and then entrepreneur just, it's just exactly. But, but here's the thing. The funny thing is, uh, I actually, uh, talk about this in my lectures on the stuff, the scientific process actually helps you in business. So if you're able to, um, look at your business as a science experiment and just apply scientific method, you will win because scientific method is better than gut feeling. You know what I mean? It's just a better guy. guy. And that helped. So I can't, you know, I took that with me uh, and use it in the business world. I transitioned to business about 12 years ago. I quit my job at NASA. I I really liked science and I really liked working for NASA. I worked on space missions, uh, several space missions, in fact. Um, and I switched into entrepreneurship and, uh, I started in internet consumer internet brands. And, uh, the first company that I started was called Zeus, which took me a bit to sell about 10 years, uh, in the pro I worked on that, but I recently sold it for $258 million. So, Kind of that's a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We we meant it. We it was a good exit for everybody. Obviously, uh, my co-founder and I made a lot of money. Um, and uh, our investors were very happy. But what really made me happy was uh we minted a few millionaires out of our employees as well. So that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, people who joined us early believed in the mission. I wish I could deliver the same results to him, 
to them in, in like five years instead of 10 years, but you know, it's better late than never. <laughs> so hey, yeah, we, awesome. yeah we, some people got really good exits. People that I like, you know, always early employees in a startup, they always have a special place in your heart. You know, uh, they joined the mission early and it just, they help shape it. And so that was my first company. Um, about two, about three years ago, in fact, uh, uh, I stepped down from uh, running the business and uh, I brought in uh, a new CEO, Chief Revenue Officer of Expedia, which did a fantastic job of running that company. And uh, I started building more consumer brands with Thai. And uh, I stepped into the crazy world of social media as part of being <laughs> partners with Thai. <laughs> Before yeah. that, I never had my face on any ads, even though I've spent... I spent probably over half a billion dollars in advertising. It was never my face on the ads. It just, it was never on there. But uh, with Ty, we, I, we basically started social media marketing on consumer brands. The first company's MentorBox that we did together was called MentorBox. Then we launched Knowledge Society. Then we launched Farmer's Box. If you follow our social media, we have a lot of delicious food products that we have. And, you know, the first company, MentorBox, was kind of interesting because I was a proven entrepreneur at that point. And I don't know if I'm, I'm going on and on. Do you want me to go no, on and about it? Yeah. Yeah, keep going. I was, was, was kind of like a, you know, proven entrepreneur and I had a track record. And I walked into the book industry and I'm like, oh, my God, these guys are fossils. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's funny because, you know, the first three months, people don't realize I could not onboard any publisher or any books for first three months. So we were doing our videos, book videos, me and Ty ourselves, basically, because we couldn't onboard. I was calling publishers. I couldn't reach anybody. I had a big book order. There are four major bulk book distributors. I called all of all four of them. Uh, three of them didn't even return my call. And one of them called back. I was like, who are you and how are you selling books? I mean, this is like, Whoa. do you have stores or what? How does that work? <laughs> and I was like, no, hello, my name is Alex Mann and I'm an internet marketer. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how it evolved. And then after three months, you know, we had the first author, like we got the first big name author and it just racked up names after names after names. And now the table has completely turned. So we have now deals with top book publishers and everybody knows about us. Um, now they're coming to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's basically what happens now. I mean, we don't even solicit at all. Basically all we have five major book publishers before they release a new book they send a copy to us for us to consider including it in in our in our program we are basically become part of their promotion machines because we are the largest um basically book marketing tool available out there give i give you guys something that really blew my mind when i entered the book industry so think the book you know biggest book publishers in the world, you would think they have a huge database of emails of their previous customers, like somehow that they can promote new books to them. Right. Right. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Blows my mind. 
So they have a new book. They're writing letters. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, they have a new book. They're like, okay, their promotion plan is like, oh, I'm gonna put them on whatever like show or whatever TV uh, show or radio show, and I'm like, or ha- send them into book signing into stores, which at best introduces your book like to 20 people. And I'm like, you don't have a fucking, uh, excuse my language, you don't, <laughs> you don't have a big email list where you can promote your, it's just mind blowing. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it was one yeah, of those things that I realized quick. You, you know how it is. It's like an you know, old industry and it's completely outdated at this point. But I mean, they're Insurance. making progress. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Insurance I, is- I went on and on. Yeah. No, 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 no. I was just saying uh, to your point, like insurance is kind of the same way. It's kind of a dinosaur. There's some yeah. things about insurance that you'd be blown away that they're still doing. Fax yeah. machines. And it's just like, what, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> it's crazy. I, t- I tell you guys an interesting story uh, uh, from my NASA days. Uh, I can't remember which uh, spacecraft it was. I believe it was actually a space shuttle. Uh, the astronauts, the astronauts were complaining that uh, the cockpit smells like, excuse my language, horse shit. Okay, <laughs> so, so they were for a while. They were trying to figure out why, right? And it turned out that they took the specs uh, for the for the for the for the seat for the seat cover of the spacecraft from old B-52 bombers. So they kind of, <laughs> the same manufacturer made this. Back in the day, those B-52 bombers, the seat was made of leather. In order for, you know, uh, for moth and insects to not eat into the leather, back in the days, World War II, they used to dip this thing in horse shit, basically, to make sure <laughs> it's not, because kind of like a like an insect, <laughs> re- insect repellent, right? And <laughs> and space shuttle seats is made of synthetic materials that no moth or insect will ever be. And there's also no moth in the space, in case you didn't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the process was in place since World War II. So the manufacturer would have still dip this thing in horse shit <laughs> before sending it to manufacturer to actually put it in the spacecraft. It's like it's like happens, man, happens. That is so funny. <laughs> so they weren't they weren't just overreacting. They were actually like, they were, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is what you're smelling. <laughs> it, <does. laughs> it is it, horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it tells you about, you know, how, uh, you know, things like it's interesting. Organizations have memories and yeah. they kind of things stay in there the way like they don't change. So yeah. even if it has no relevance to today's world, they would still would be dipping their <laughs> before sending them to space. Oh, that, is <laughs> rough. Not, that is crazy. That's got to be like the advantage of a startup, right? Is that if there's no 100%. rule, we're not in this box, we're outside the box. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy, man. <laughs> are you a, are you a rocket scientist? I um, I mean, there's no title as rocket scientist, but I yes, I mean, 
I'm a space mission analysis and design certified scientist. I actually worked on space missions. So, um, so has anyone asked you, well, who, what do you think you are, rocket scientist? Has anyone <laughs> asked you that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I get that all the time. And and like, I, yeah, I am. You, you can say, by the yes, way, yeah, I, I, I actually am a rocket scientist. I actually scientist. am, kind of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though at NASA, nobody calls themselves rocket scientists. They call themselves like propulsion systems engineer or whatever. Yeah. So it's like more, rocket scientist sounds like too generic of a title, but yes, technically. It's like, yes. a, <laughs> yeah. it's like a hick thing, right? Like if yeah. you say that, you're like, okay. Obviously. They don't know anything about NASA. Yeah. You're obviously not a rocket scientist. <laughs> I, I tell you guys another funny story if you want to hear a funny story. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So I was, um, uh, I went to Washington, D.C. with a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, co-worker at NASA. This is many years ago. Uh, and he's a nice guy, PhD in engineering, you know, deep into whatever robotics uh, and, uh, autonomous robotics, space, space autonomous robotics, basically he built autonomous robots for space missions. Very great guy. And we were at a bar in Washington, D.C. Um, and we were, we were outside. I never forget. There were like two girls that walked to us. And one of them started talking to me and, or one of them started talking to him. And then the, the, I was from, from the corner of my eyes. I was kind of like monitoring the conversation. So the girl asked him, his name is Adrian, uh, and asked Adrian, so what do you do, right? And Adrian started talking, oh, I worked on whatever multiple autonomous robots so that they land, whatever this happens. <laughs> and I saw the girl, there was a glaze on the girl's eyes. Like it was just like glazed over completely, don't know what, she, what he's talking about. And I turned and I said, he's a rocket scientist. <laughs> and, the girl, and the girl literally, her face like opened up. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and Adrian turned back to me and was like, yeah, you, or you can say it like that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and for, from that point on, that's how he would introduce himself. And it helped him a lot in his dating life. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, keep it simple, right? You yeah, start you know, through. just what are you doing, man? Explaining exactly what you're doing. Like, Don't just, get into the weeds. She doesn't yeah, want to hear that. Yeah, no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, how did you get involved with uh, Ty Lopez? Uh, Ty and I have been friends for a long time, for about uh, 10 years now, probably over 10 years now. Um, I, Ty, a lot of people don't know, but before he was big on social media and, uh, uh, you know, he's now in education space. Before that, he had a uh, portfolio of online dating products. Uh, there were smaller online dating uh, products. And I had 10 years ago, I had like the number one mobile dating app. So... I oh. kind of pioneered mobile dating. So we met at a mobile, at, a, at an online dating conference, not on an <laughs> online dating website. <laughs> you have to be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> In an online dating conference. And uh, we were on a panel. And um, yeah, and... And, uh, uh, and, and uh, there were five of us. It was a very boring panel. But... Ty and I, like, I was kind of like, I was like, oh, everybody's boring. But there was this dude who was coding books, like, in very specifically 
very knowledgeable, very interesting guy, very dynamic. And that was Ty. And I'm like, who is this guy? So um, after the panel, we started talking. And um, I remember the first time, the first, my first uh, interaction with him was, I mentioned something in a book, The Third Chimpanzee by Jared Diamond. And I had never seen anybody else who had read the book. He had read it. So we started talking about that instant connection. So we became friends after that. That's kind of how we met. That's cool. And then, and then how did you guys, um, is that how it started with the, with MentorBox? No, no, we, so I was running Zeus. So it took seven years. Uh, we were friends. Uh, he was kind of like, I would come to LA all the time. He was, him and I kept brainstorming on different business aspects, but I was running my own business. He was doing his own thing. Um, and it wasn't until after, um, after uh, I started uh, building other businesses after Zeus that Ty and I uh, started, thought about actually becoming business partners. And the story of MentorBox is a little interesting because I was looking into box business models, you know, uh, Birchbox, uh, Blue Apron, all these box models. And I was yeah. fascinated. So I said, well, I'm going to try 100 different box ideas. <laughs> 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 and to see one, I actually literally my Shopify was uh, hundred boxes dot my Shopify dot com. So it was like I was like I'm gonna use this Shopify. I'm gonna launch one hundred different box ideas, see which one works, and then I'm gonna take it. It's scientific experiments, right? You have to fail a hundred times, uh, so uh, to see which one works. And the first one I did was actually uh, for healthy, like for vitamins and herbal supplements, right? And it was okay, but it wasn't that great. And then Ty and I were talking, and Ty said, hey, let's do it around books. And then we brainstormed. It kind of evolved a little bit over time. And then we said, okay, let's do mentor box, basically. So kind of like went back and forth, and we came up with the idea, and we, I launched it, and it took off. So that, the rest is history. That's cool. I, I love that concept. What yeah. a cool concept. It's like, well, how did no one else think of that? It's one of those ideas that's like, you know, it's a good idea. If once you hear it, you think, gosh, why didn't somebody else think of that? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I bet you a lot of people thought of it. It's just nobody executed it because it's not very obvious. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It would be hard to see the business model. Yeah, somebody exactly. pr probably got brought up without like thought of the business model. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So how, sure. how, did, yeah. how did that execution look like? Like what did, what did you guys do? How did you? So we have a formula. We now, at this point, Ty and I have a formula. It is our formula. It is basically, uh, uh, it's a, it's a it, I mean, it's, it's seven Ps, but we call it the simple version of it is four Ps. Product, price, uh, promotions, placement. Okay, so product is product concept. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, price is okay. Now, a concept can be great, but it has to be priced at a price that people buy. So you need to figure out price. Third is promotion. How am I going to tell people this product at this price exists? All right. Mm -hmm. And fourth is placement. Now that I've gotten, I've now I've done promoted it people hopefully have bought it now how do i 
place it, meaning how do I get it to the hand of customers, right? So that's kind of like our formula and we keep doing it. So basically what, what we do is that we say, okay, so product concept is uh, initial product concept of mentor box that we pivoted from was books in a box, right? You're mm-hmm. like, okay, so that's the concept. Uh, at what price would people buy this? So we kind of uh, create a landing page. Uh, we explain the product concept. Then we start testing prices. We send traffic to it using advertisement or social media, tie social media or what have you. We start placing, figuring out prices, how much people are willing to pay. Can we make this business model work, right? Mm. Once we have the pricing down, then we say, okay, now, what is the best way to get, like, we have like 100 customers. How can we get to 10,000 customers? What is the promotion mechanism for it? Is it Facebook ads? Is it YouTube? Is it like viral videos? Like, you know, do I need to go on podcasts and talk about my product? So that's kind of like promotion aspect of it. And mm-hmm. the lastly, the last part of it is fulfillment and how do I place it? So initial, so that placement changed. So initially it was books sent and and our learning materials booklets and all that and videos were also on the flash drive delivered to you via mail uh we changed that the placement became electronic so all of a sudden everything became a lot better so that's kind of like and then you go back and you just iterate they're like okay does the product concept need some modification then can i price it differently at the new version of the product concept so just keep looping does that make mm-hmm. sense so yeah, yeah. That's kind of the formula that we use. So, so tell me, how did you go from being a rocket scientist, right? <laughs> right. How did you go from doing that to doing this? It's such a high level. Like this is, we're talking high level stuff here. We're not right. talking your average, hey, e-commerce business, right? Right. What was that like? What was that transition like? Uh, I was a little scared, to be honest. Um, I'm normally, I mean, Ty has this test, personality test. I don't know if you guys have to have taken it. Uh, we're going to uh-huh. turn that into a business at some point. But one of the dimensions he measures is actually anxiety. Uh, I'm very low anxiety. So in general, I'm not very fearful at all. But it this was a hard transition <laughs> for me. And I tell you why. Because as an academic, as a research scientist, you become obsolete really quick if you do not publish, continuously publish academic papers. Mm -hmm. So I was Mm -hmm. literally letting go of the first half of my life to venture into unproven territory. So uh, does that make sense? Like it wasn't like I had nothing going on and I was going, becoming an entrepreneur. I was letting go of a lot of stuff. Uh, in fact, for about a year or so, I tried to straddle, like I tried to continue publishing academic papers with my former research uh, partners while I was launching. So, so for about a year or so, I tried to hold on in case this doesn't work, I can go back. That's how, like, it was very hard for me. Um, and, but at some point I had to let go. It's like, there are points in life where you have to go down the alley, even though there's no way to come back. So you got to make those calls. It's just, you have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why so it was who, the right call? <laughs> well, I said, so I'm actually not sure it was the right call. <laughs> I made, I made a lot more money as an entrepreneur than as a, I would. Yeah. Ever pay as a, so that part of it is obviously uh, different. 
but fulfillment doesn't necessarily come from money, as you probably right. know. So, in a, yeah, in a way, sometimes I look back, um, and I have friends who are scientists and actually hardcore scientists, and they they're like they don't consider me like a scientist anymore. They're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't respect me anymore. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so it, in a way, I want to say I like. Um, I tell you what I like about entrepreneurship. How about that? What I like about entrepreneurship is that you have uh, full ability to plot your own path. Nothing else gives you that. Nothing else. I mean, you can be anything. I can't really think of anything else. You can be, as a scientist, you're kind of inside a research institute, right? So you're kind of, your direction is dictated by uh, the initiatives of the institute or where the grant money is available at or what have you. So you're kind of like within a construct. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, as an employee, you're also within a construct. You are part of a bigger company. There's nothing wrong with it. But the level of freedom that you get as an entrepreneur to determine your own path and destiny is just, it's, I don't know how else I can get that. So that's what I like about entrepreneurship. That's cool. Yeah. And the successes, the successes or the failures ultimately fall on your shoulders, right? We're exactly. entrepreneurs at a much smaller scale being agency owners. And then we have some side businesses, but um, it's the same thing. If, 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 if shit's falling apart, you know, if you're not looking in the mirror and saying, okay, what do I need to change to, right. to, bring, to bring the reins back in? Then, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because you have to accept that, that responsibility. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think, I think that's a, it's a, I always say entrepreneurship is not for everybody. I don't think it is for everybody. And also, it is not the only way to add value in this world. It's not like some, some people have this notion that entrepreneurship is some somehow a superior, like even morally superior way of living your life. I'm like, not really. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people that contribute to the society without being entrepreneurs. I mean, firefighters, uh, the doctor in the ER, they save lives, right? So, and it's a path, it's a great path to go. All I'm saying is, I say two things about entrepreneurship. One Everybody should try it. It's not for everybody, but everybody should try it at least once. And the reason for that is you don't know if you like it until you've tried it. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, so you won't know. Do you want to live your life not knowing if you would have made a great entrepreneur or not, you know? So that's the first thing. The second thing is the level of autonomy, freedom. Uh, Like I said, controlling your own destiny. It's just you can't get it any, any other way, at least to the best of my knowledge. Maybe yeah. you can be, maybe another way to have full freedom is to be dictator, dictator of a small country or something. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that next for you? <laughs> <laughs> that would be another way. I don't recommend it. <laughs> what are you excited about these days? So you've, you've, you've had so many successes in your past. Um, what gets you excited? Because I mean, wow, the, the stuff that you've accomplished is, is so great. Um, I, you know, what gets me the most really excited is sometimes when we launch a new product and I get uh, messages from people, like I'll give you an example. I mean, it sounds silly and 
but it is actually what gets me excited. We just launched um, our beef sticks, uh, grass-fed beef sticks. Uh, I launched on my social media, and I just did one post for it. And it's selling. I mean, on a daily basis, uh, it's selling. And I'm already getting DMs from people that sell. They say, hey, like it's just, you know, it's a pure no preservatives beef stick, right? It's a good protein. A lot of people DM me and say, oh, they, I like the product. I'm addicted to your product. I really enjoy eating it. I just, it's silly, but that kind of makes me happy. Doesn't make sense? It's like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's your thing. You came out with it. You're, and, and people are like, they like what you're doing. Yeah. I, it just gets exactly different. right. It's like you brought it to this world, right? It's just you yeah. just gave birth to a baby. Uh, you're the artist. Yeah. It's like, I, I, it's a very, it's, it's hard to explain. Again, that's a feeling you cannot easily get in any other career to the best of my knowledge. It's just hard to get it. I mean, maybe engineers of iPhone really also uh, like the fact that people, you know, enjoy iPhones, but it's hard to say I built iPhone because like, you know, hundred thousand people <laughs> worked on iPhone. So yeah. It's like, yeah. And then ultimately, Steve will take would take responsibility, you know, exactly. accept the responsibility for it. So exactly, yeah. exactly. Cool. <laughs> so, what about marketing? Like, like, tell me a little bit about what um, what you do for your marketing, just in general, how you approach it, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, we have a specific formula. Uh, when it comes to marketing, at the very top level, it is basically, I mean, we have, um, uh, I mean, if you look at our marketing materials, uh, it follows a simple formula, uh, demonstrate, inspire, motivate, and educate. So it's like DIME is kind of like our acronym for it. So we try to show products. It's not like, if you look at our marketing, it's different than traditional marketing in the sense that Traditional marketing, they show you an airbrushed photo of the product, you know, uh, yeah. and it's kind of, you know, that it's not real. <laughs> yeah. Like you see that photo of uh, McDonald's Big Mac <laughs> on a poster, yeah. it's like, it looks all fluffy and nice. And the actual <laughs> thing is just like a gooey, smooshy thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, true. So, so what we try to do is actually walk people through the product in an unbrushed uh, way. So it lends itself very well to some formats, like video advertisement works great. Uh, but it uh, it won't be that good for a billboard, for example. But the good news is social media video advertisement is now way bigger than billboard, you know? Uh, so demonstrate is that inspire is like, we don't say, we don't sell features and benefits. We we sell what the product can do for you. Does that make sense? Mm. It's like yeah. healthier. Yeah, it's not feature. It's a, it's, a, it's a, you guys understand the distinction. It is a mm. lot of entrepreneurs are confused by that. They try to talk so much about features and benefits of their product that they miss the whole point that people want to be inspired and motivated. That's the next item. So like inspired and motivated. So demonstrate then tell a story that inspires them, motivates them, gives them, a, gives them a reason beyond the features and benefits of the product to purchase your product, right? And yeah. then 
the E is educate. It's very important. Basically, uh, one way, if you want to sell something effectively, you need to build authority. Like you need to, you people have to believe that you are an authority in that field. Anything you want to sell. If you want to sell books, if, if you want to do whatever, like food products, you need, like Bulletproof has done a great job of that, right? So it's like he's built authority and people bo- like, it's, it's an authority and a brand that sells products at the same time. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? And the yeah. authority part, it, the easiest way to get it is education. So if you're educating people about something, people trust you. And then it's a lot easier to sell sell that. Actually, what you guys are doing here is actually really good. So basically, you're bringing people and you're educating people about entrepreneurship. And this way, people kind of trust, start trusting you and trusting your brand. You're building a brand this way. And mm-hmm. that... And that actually goes a long way for people to actually buy products from you. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. demonstrate, inspire, motivate, educate. And that's kind of like our formula. And we do it in an unfiltered way, you know, authentic. We try to not try to sell things that we are really not an educate people on things that we are not an expert in, uh, you know, show airbrush photos of products. In fact, we have this rule that we never use stock photos on any of our websites ever. So, like, it's just nothing is airbrushed. Everything is, like, raw and authentic. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it's real. Yeah, it's real. I mean, because people, the days of people seeing a nice airbrush photo of something on a billboard and then going and buying it is kind of over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, it almost seems. It almost seems like you're being sold. Like, it's, like it's fake. Like it's exactly as soon as they can smell the sale, like the sales aspect of it, they're gone. Like that's today's consumer totally different, right? It's a sales guy. Forget it. I'm done. Shut down walls up. Right. Cause they're getting hit by so many different people. And, and it's, it, that's also interesting in that, you know, like some of the marketing, right. The way that we market on YouTube where it's, it's your, your best and most responsive, uh, advertising campaigns on YouTube are going to be where you have your phone and you put it in front of you versus some high production, you know, Coppola version of, of, um, you know, presenting your product. Yeah. And it has happened industry. If you look at industry by industry, they're being disrupted by uh, more authentic marketing compared to traditional. Give you, give you an example. I think, one of the latest industries that have been disrupted using this marketing model is really high-end fashion. Uh, think like high-end fashion, like even 10 years ago, it was all like, you know, uh, fashion, high-end fashion shows. It was like billboards, magazine photos mm. of whatever high-end, you know what I'm talking about, right? Totally. Yeah. yeah. And Airbrush. Nowadays, it is Fashion Nova. So you have influencers on Instagram wearing a product and just doing it in their own way that is not airbrushed, that is not even controlled by the, by the parent company. Like, you know, the Bang Energy or Fashion Nova, you look at their ads, yes, they sponsor, but then the influencer does their own sometimes silly thing, uh, putting the product on the Instagram, but it's authentic. It's silly, but it's authentic. You know what right. I mean? So, and that sells way better. Fashion Nova is a multi-billion dollar brand now. It's actually the highest, uh, last year was the highest 
Can you believe this? Fashion Nova last year was the highest searched fashion brand on Google. Like wow. came out of nowhere. And it just through Instagram marketing and having all these influencers expressing themselves in an unfiltered way using the product. It's like I'm telling you, the days of putting a glossy ad in a in a in a in a magazine or whatever, it's just like it's over. It's all about authentic raw marketing. So right. Yeah. Well, these people, if there's a million people following so-and-so, right, whoever, some name, and, and she's drinking Red Bull, mm-hmm. you know, they, you have a million people that are like, wow, I love her, and she's yeah. drinking this, I'm in, right? Yeah. It's, I, mean, it's, it's, I agree with you, but I tell you, it's actually one factor even more than that. So if you get the same number of eyeballs, all right, of some airbrush photo of some uh, of somebody drinking like a drug red bull on a billboard or a magazine or something and you get the same number of views on their instagram little story or people watching the the billboard i promise you people do not see the billboards like people right. do not see these things it's just the brain filters everything that is airbrushed and like fake <laughs> yeah it's amazing so, yeah, it's like it, the brain filters it. So I'm saying even the same number of eyeballs is more effective for that person to actually shoot an Instagram story, even though it's not. There's not a director. They're like doing it in their bedroom, you know. Uh, there's not the lighting is not perfect, but actually that's what makes it effective. That's I guess the point I'm making. Does that make sense? So real. Yeah. Well, it's so real, yeah. right? People yeah, connect exactly. with authentic- authenticity. Exactly. Authentic raw. I think the key word here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no so awesome. Anymore. Yeah. 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 What were you going to say, Craig? Well, I, I, I was thinking about something you said, Alex, near the beginning. When you, first, when you first connected with Ty and he said, you need to put yourself on camera and you didn't right. have that experience. Being a scientist often can be a little bit introverted. So yeah. how was that? Like, how was that transition for you from going to you know, the scientist, the rocket scientist to, to putting yourself on camera. It was very difficult. It was very difficult. And, uh, but I tell you this, it's, I, I have this theory, uh, that, um, there's a reason why faces on camera work better than logos. Um, babies, when they're born, when they're born, just like the moment they come to this world, they actually do not identify a lot of objects. Like they don't understand things, but they know faces, human faces. And not only that, they can actually read facial expressions very, very early on. So we as humans, we are programmed to identify other humans' faces and expressions a lot faster than objects. What is an image of a product. What is a logo? It is an object. It's, a, it's not a human, right? It's a lot easier for humans to pay attention to and with repetition become familiar with another face than with a logo or with a product image or what have you. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's why it is a lot more effective in marketing to actually put a human face on a product and, and I, I give, you, give you an example. Um, one of my board members um, uh, at Zoot was, was a board member on Priceline, okay? And he told me Priceline was struggling, was a 
kind of being crushed by Expedia and all these guys. And you know how they, Priceline is now a massive, huge company. You oh, know yeah. what changed the game for them? Hmm. William Shatner. Oh, I was a, yeah. Yeah. So they put a face. So it was, you know, a lot of these travel websites, they have, uh, you know, show like their commercials. It's like, oh, you click on this and click on that. And it's just like they have these animations of planes flying. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. They had William Shatner on there. And William Shatner is a familiar face, already trusts his mate. He destroyed, like basically Priceline became like a massive company because of him, because of him. So wow. that, that's what, what I tell people. Look, it is not a theoretical thing. It's actually not about your ego. Some people want to be on camera because they want to be on camera. You know, I'm like, great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's not, you shouldn't be on camera because you want to be on camera. I mean, if you want to be on camera too, that helps too. But it's the main reason is because it is good for your business. Uh, when you can get in front of camera and explain your product. Um, I can give you another example. Very interesting. Can I, can I give you a quick yeah. example? Oh, yeah. So, um, so I had, so when I was running Zeus, um, I, uh, I, you know, Germans, they have really tight uh, privacy laws and consumer advocacy groups, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there was this independent uh, consumer advocacy group in Germany. They had given us a very low ranking of F or something, like it, for privacy laws or whatever. They, they, they had given us very low ranking. I was on a press tour in Germany, and I said, can I meet with them, right? Can I just see why they hate us? I mean, what have I done wrong? <laughs> so, 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 uh, and they, and then they set up a meeting, and there's, you know, it was me and my uh, VP of, uh, of public relations in the lobby of a hotel, and two German women show up, like very, like, like they look, they didn't smile at all. They were kind of walking <laughs> as if they were mad at me or something. <laughs> and, and I never forget, we sat. Uh, in the lobby of the hotel and they had like this huge binder and they pulled it out and it was like our terms of service. You know, as an American company, you have to have a long terms of service. You cover your ads again because in this country you get sued all the time. So Mm. it's like, basically we had a huge uh, terms of service privacy policy and he, she was like, had it all circled out and she was like, you know, why, why do you have this in your, why do you have this? Why do you have like, it's just, you know, five minutes of grilling me. And I was just answering her. Like, you know, this is, we do this because in, in the U S you have to do this and that and that, like, it's just by law, we have to have all these terms. And she was, her point was like, this is a, this is too complicated. Consumers cannot read American. She had the same problem with Facebook and all the other other companies as well. It wasn't just us, but she did. She wasn't comfortable with the way terms of service privacy policy of American companies are. And I was just explaining this is how business is done in America. Otherwise, we just go out of business. So uh, and and then after like five or ten minutes, she literally slams the the, the binder <laughs> closed. She's like. You know, I, I, I like you, but I don't like your, what is on your website. Why don't you put your face on the website and explain these six consumers? I'm like, what are you talking about? I guess, uh, I'm building a company. I'm not building me, right? Yeah. And, and she said, this is actually very, actually interesting wisdom. 
Uh, she said this is before I actually started putting my face on cameras, like th- four or five years before that. And she said, look, uh, there's this uh, brand of soup in Germany. I can't remember the name right now. And the founder in TV commercials gets in the commercial and says, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I endorse my soup. why don't you do the same thing because i trust you but i don't trust the terms of service of your website so it's just it's not there's not a person there it feels like and i was like at the moment i kind of brushed it off and we laughed about it and all that i'm like uh but she was actually right you know it's a lot easier like i when i explain things i can explain them but when it is a soulless website with a huge terms of service you know explaining all the things in legalese and all that. So it's hard for people to trust. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, I think that is a, that is a, that is a huge entrepreneurship. I don't know if I'm going off a different track now, but no, you know, but you know, it makes yeah. sense. It, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier, uh, you know, about, um, it, you know, the airbrush picture, right? The airbrush picture might have shown trust back in the day because, hey, if you had the money to do that, you had to be a big company. And that kind of established trust where now people don't they, don't, they want to see your face because we can. Back then, you couldn't do that. So now exactly. it's like, yeah, it's, that's interesting to, to look at it that way. That's yeah. super insightful. Yeah. I think it is actually what you said is exactly right. People back in the days, if you had a TV commercial, people thought, oh, it is a legit company because it has, it has a TV commercial. Right. It is literally upside down now. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. 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 And Everybody how much does a TV commercial cost now, right? Yeah, it's just nothing. I mean, it's just and, and anybody can do all sorts of airbrushed, like nice commercials. And it's just people like, it just, people don't even see it. You know what I mean? No, they're looking at their phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. So your face, we're starting to see your face everywhere. Tell us a little bit about uh, Dr. Alex University. Yeah, it is, a, it, is a, it, is a, it is an experiment I'm running. Um, I kind of want to build a, um, a, um, a group of people that I kind of work with more closely and walk them. I'm trying to see if... If I can append, like change the business model, a university's business model, can I build a better university? And the universities that are built around the way that it was actually back in the days, this is the best way to talk about it. So back in the days, like there were schools, like imagine you're, you, you want to become a monk, right? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a temple you go to and you get... If you can choose what you want to be, you want to learn whatever craft, you go somewhere, there's a person that knows it, and you go and kind of through osmosis, if you will, learn Mm. that craft from the person. I want to see if that is actually doable. In other words, can we go back to the previous model that we had versus this, again, systematic, rigid university framework? Can we go to the previous model and build kind of schools around experts and uh, you can you can pick and choose what you want to go it's kind of like an experiment i'm running to see one do i like doing it two does it make sense for other people to do it and then if it makes sense then i will scale and replicate it's very much like how it was how education was done back in the days you had a you had a there was a mentor or there was a 
there was a master or there was, you know, a guru or some, somebody like that. And you chose, you, you wanted to learn something. You went and learned a craft directly from that person by being part of that community for a little bit. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah, it is like a blacksmith, the blacksmith, right? They, yeah, exactly. He has yeah. a trainee under him, or what? Uh, the the protege, or I don't know what they would call it. But exactly. That's I mean, awesome. It seems like it seems like it's a lot better than going into blacksmith school, you know. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's just. Would, do you yeah. guys agree? Do you guys? Yeah, our our yes, our school system right now. It's like I, you know, I talk to people that are in school. I mean, I just. I went back to school a few years ago, but it's like, if, if my goal was actually to learn a trade so that at the end of that, I could just take off on the trade. It's not the case. Like people are starting from square one after school. They just invested so many thousands of hours and stuff. And it's just, it doesn't make sense at all. At all. I I wouldn't even argue. It's just like, I can't think of many situations where our current school system is superior to the model that I just described to you. I just can't like mm-hmm. think of like what profession is it even like even take something like becoming a doctor right the, the, the medical doctors go through like a few years of actually in classroom training but the actual learning happens when they do their residency so they're in the in the hospital like that's is a, you know what I'm talking about so yeah. they yeah. actually have this model already I can't really think of think of many situations where this model doesn't apply and I don't know why we have the school system the way it is set up, where it is a completely like rigid framework of courses you have to take, and doesn't matter who you take it from. It's like actually that's mind blowing to me. Like you have a curriculum that is abstract from the professor, so you have you got to take take this class and that class and that class, and different professors may do the teaching at any time. It's just it's not about who you learn from is about what class it's just mind-blowing to me you know <laughs> yeah. and it's a big business that's funded by the government you yeah. know, partially right so yeah. you can you know, there's a lot of goofy stuff going on there <laughs> and mean, the and student could, loans and you know we could get into a whole thing about that yeah it goes back to dollar industry i mean come right. on that's too much goofiness that's a very <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> it goes back to your point, though, what we were talking about at the very beginning, which is all these old businesses are just, they're still doing the same stuff, like dipping it in the poop, right? It's right. like all the same stuff. It's like, why? Like people are just, it's like mindlessly doing the same stuff these days when it's like the tools that we have now are incredible. Yeah. And it's like they're still doing the same thing. Schools are still dipping it in poop. <laughs> <laughs> that has become a thing now. You guys are yeah. not You're still <laughs> bringing poop. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Awesome. Well, if, if you could give a piece of wisdom to uh, somebody who wants to take that jump and be an entrepreneur, what would you tell them? I would say take um, calculated risks. Um, And uh, so here's the thing in life. You can lose if you're completely risk averse. I think we all agree on that. Without risk, you can never accomplish anything important in life. I can't think Mm. of an exception to that rule. So you got to be taking risk. However, if you're taking, 
irresponsible risk, you will also lose. You know what I mean? So the key here is to take risk, but do it in a measure calculated way. Uh, and it's like, it goes like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys play poker. It's the same thing. So you got to bet an amount that actually makes sense depending on the hand that you're given. Right. So, so it's kind of, like, and if you, you can, you can get away with not doing the right bet a few times, but in the long term you lose. So, so it's the goal to me is like, you know, a lot of times I talk to entrepreneurs and they're like, they're either too gun shy or they're fanatic risk taker. <laughs> and I'm like, look, there is a the middle guns. ground. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take risks, but make sure if it doesn't work, you don't die. I mean, not physically, <laughs> but you just got kind of don't destroy yourself over one shot. Another way to think about it is kind of like entrepreneurship is a little bit, you know, like baseball where you're swinging the bat, trying to hit a single or a home run, right? And you miss a lot of these throws. And, and you, the goal here is to, you have a batting average. Everybody has a batting average. The key is to not bet your life on one swing of the bat. So mm. it's, it's just, you got to take, you got to swing but you can't bet all your life on one swing. So you got to kind of like pace yourself. I see people that go into businesses, they mortgage their house or whatever on an unproven business model. And even though the market is telling them, and I've actually seen this, even though the market tells them, look, they don't want your product, so you don't have any sales, they kind of are pushing smashing themselves into a wall and destroying themselves. I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> like are- this idealism and this ego, right? Yeah, that- exactly. Ego is actually the reason. I don't know if you've read the book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. It's ego is the enemy. So I'm mm-hmm. like, look, step back, relax. For one week, don't do anything. And after that, you will come up with 10 more ideas. So it's right. like, you don't have to go all in into this one do seven off suit hands, you know? It's like it's like you're in poker. I don't know if you guys play poker, but do yeah, seven yeah. off suit is the worst hand you can have. It's flop. <laughs> so it's like don't bet. Don't yeah, don't <laughs> just don't. It's the simplicity of the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's like exactly. so simple. But how you, you can put yourself in a basket. You can put all, if you don't have a lot of eggs and you're young, so you can recover, you can put your eggs in one basket if that basket has somewhat proven itself. Meaning, if it is a pocket, if you have pocket aces, you have proven the product sells and the market wants it, it's like pocket aces. If you're young, you're kind of, it's okay to bet on that heavy. But if it is do seven, like, you know, <laughs> if that's your, your basket, by all means, don't put on your <laughs> It's important to know what is a basket, right? Is it a good yeah. So, yeah. Love it, man. Great words of wisdom. <laughs> it was Thank fun you. talking to you guys. Yeah. Thanks for taking an hour out of your day to talk to just some two insurance dudes. <laughs> we really appreciate it, man. No, you so awesome. Thank you, Alex. I just saying, so this was so awesome, and and I really we really appreciate your time. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be twenty or. 
25 minutes and, and you went the distance. So, <laughs> so thank you so much. We really, this is awesome. Oh, all, right. <laughs> all right. Hopefully it was fun too. I gave you, I went off path a few times. Oh, I love but... it. Perfect. <laughs> That's the fun stuff. That's the face part, right? Yeah. People exactly. are going to see this and be like, oh man, Alex is a good dude. He's just a, du- a good dude. <laughs> It was good talking to you guys. Awesome. Well, we'll stay in touch. Thank you so much, Dr. Alex. All right. Thanks for having me. See you guys. See ya. Has finding, training, and retaining the best insurance producers ever been your struggle? It's why Agency Vault built the Sales Strengths Identifier to uncover if candidates and current staff have the specific sales skills to get you top results. Try it free at www.agencyvault.com slash dudes. That's www.agencyvault.com slash dudes and assess your lowest performer for free. Try it now. Hey, thanks for checking out the insurance dudes. Hey, please subscribe. We got some really great stuff coming out.